Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy topics for conservatives today. And uh, Jim... We are anti-monarchy here at the Three Martini Lunch. We think our founders pretty much had it right. We'll get to that actually in the third martini as well. But they were right in not wanting a royal family. And for some reason, Americans are still enamored with the royal family in Britain. But in the, the United States, the royal family has largely been the Kennedys. And since they're Democrats, uh, the media loves the fact that we had a de facto royal family. Uh, but last night, for the first time, I believe, ever... A Kennedy lost a congressional race. It was the Democratic Senate primary. Uh, the incumbent is Ed Mackey. He, of course, uh, became senator after John Kerry left the Senate to become Barack Obama's secretary of state in 2013. Uh, he is getting up there in years. He's in his mid-70s, wasn't sure if he was going to run again. Then 39-year-old Joseph Kennedy III, the congressman, and uh, grandson of RFK, son of the former congressman, uh, Joseph Kennedy II, decided he was going to challenge Markey. The polls look great for Kennedy at first, but over time, uh, a lot of folks think that the progressives showed up for Markey because AOC got on board with him. But in the end, it was called pretty early last night, Ed Markey wins. That is definitely not the good Markey because Ed Markey is going to get another six years and he's a, a knee-jerk liberal. But Jim, the Kennedys, especially in this race, seem to have this idea that they're entitled to the seats. And Joe Kennedy, kind of like his Uncle Teddy, couldn't really figure out why he wanted the seat other than that he wanted it. And ultimately that came back to change the polls. Ed Markey wins. Joe Kennedy loses. And we still don't have a royal family in America. So that's good. It is. Uh, I mean, the down, significant downside is that Edward Markey, Markey, for those of us outside <laughs> the state of Massachusetts, uh, there's not a, you know, he's, he's a reliable liberal Democrat. There's really not much for conservatives to cheer about. But it's kind of what conservatives have gotten used to from senators from Massachusetts. You know, he's not quite as boring as John Kerry. And he hasn't killed anyone like Ted Kennedy. So there's there's your, uh, uh, your 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 advantages and upsides to Ed Markey there. It's one of the more strange primary fights we've seen on the Democratic side this past year. I suppose you can make if you're Joseph Kennedy and you're you're trying to argue that uh, this incumbent needs to go. I guess you can make a generational argument. It's time for some new blood. Markey's getting up there in years. He was a member of the House for a really long time. Beyond that, on policy, there just really wasn't that much of a difference. And my colleague Jack Butler did a uh, good corner post about this yesterday. He kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek endorsed Markey just by pointing out the fact there there was no family dynasty argument for him. And he kind of points out, like, you know, what is it about Joe Kennedy's relatives that qualifies him for a seat in the U.S. Senate? Um, you know, he puts out that for all the flaws of the founding fathers and everything you don't like, or the founding fathers are bad. They got that right on royalty and primogeniture, the idea that you inherit someone. Um, by the way, it's also kind of worth noting that uh, for it's interesting this was not, the Republicans have no real hope for the Senate race in November. This is the state that Scott Brown won under probably some pretty unique circumstances back in 2010 up against Martha Coakley. Uh, but, you know, you think about it, uh, you know, they've had a decent number of Republican governors up in Massachusetts. 
Uh, Mitt Romney was governor of Massachusetts. And so you look at that, you're kind of like, oh, the Republicans, should, Charlie Baker is a governor or is a Republican. I can hear Massachusetts residents scoffing because he's not a terribly conservative Republican. Right. But you'd think the, the Republican Party up there would be able to have, at least have a pulse in these Senate races. Um, in terms of this, it's not like one or the other was going to be a much tougher in November. Um, it just seems to be that, you know, that Kennedy was running on the family name and saying, hey, wouldn't it be great to have a Senator Kennedy again? Look at me. I'm young. I have Vega and, and all that. I think it's it is somewhat reassuring that here we are here we are in the year of our Lord 2020. And we've finally gotten over this 1960s nostalgia, nostalgia, this this image, this idea of Camelot that was built close to 60 years ago. Two generations have gone by and it's kind of time to, you know, if you're a Kennedy and you want a Senate seat, you're going to have to earn it on your own accomplishments and your own record and who you are, not on the family name. So good for you, Massachusetts voters. Beyond that, there's not a lot of folks on the right to cheer about in this Senate race, but at least we've uh, recognized that no one is entitled to a Senate seat just because of their family name. Right. And we already have a senator, Kennedy, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. Probably not yeah, the, the good Kennedy. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I don't know if you've heard. Who this. also hasn't killed anyone. <laughs> Except with some really good one liners. Uh, he's had he's had a few of those over the years. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this rumor, Jim, that Elizabeth Warren, if Biden wins, is uh, possibly in line to be Treasury Secretary. And so some folks are thinking, you know, depending on how the Senate balance works out, you could have a, uh, a special election for majority of the Senate. So obviously we won't know that till several weeks from now. But uh, the idea of Liz Warren running Treasury sends shutters down any conservative spine, I would think. I'd like to think that if you're Joe Biden, you recognize you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're going to take over January 20th. You, you, you know, hopefully the economy will be continuing to recover. The markets presumably won't freak out the moment Biden gets elected, but you don't know. You can see the investor and the business community looking at this with a, a shudder down its spine. I mean, do you want a 4,000 point drop in the Dow in one day just because you appointed Warren? Do you really want that, you know, Biden? <laughs> Think hard. All right, let's talk about our bad martini now, Jim. And the other thing we don't like besides royal families in America is politicians who think the rules only apply to the little people. That cost Marie Antoinette her head, as well as her husband back in uh, France uh, a little more than 200 years ago. French Revolution, you might have heard about it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has kind of done that a couple of times now since the pandemic started. We all know about her really expensive freezer with her really expensive ice cream that did not go over well. Uh, and yesterday, she got caught on the security cam footage getting her hair done at a San Francisco salon uh, with no mask on. Uh, this is despite all her scolding about mask wearing and the fact that San Francisco doesn't allow salons to be open. And in true Pelosi fashion, of course, she's blaming it on the hair salon saying they told her uh, she could be in there one customer at a time. And so that's what she did. She was just doing what the salon told her to do. Jim, obviously there are certain things that politicians say one way and do the other way that matter more, like Obamacare doesn't apply to us than Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done. But it's part of a pattern now. And uh, it definitely shows that Nancy Pelosi, among others, think that the little people have to follow the rules, but they don't. Yeah, I, look, I think one of, there are a couple aspects of this that are particularly infuriating. Um, for those wondering what the law in California is right now, starting on September 1st, uh, salons were allowed to do hairstyling outdoors, not indoors. 
so that's the first thing is that you're not supposed to be inside that building. The state of California believes that it is not safe to do this inside. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I, Greg, I haven't seen your hair lately, but uh, I've had two haircuts since they lifted it here in Virginia. Everybody wears their masks. In some parts of the country, it's considered, okay, it's safe. You wear the mask. If you're cutting around the side of your head that's got the, where the mask straps usually would go, you hold the mask in place. Uh, everybody tries to socially distance. They got plexiglass at the counter. And, you know, everybody tries to minimize their exposure. And it can be done safe. And let's not forget, there was this, a study cited by the CDC that pointed out that uh, two people who were positive and actually symptomatic with uh, the coronavirus cut the hair of a whole bunch of people, they wore masks and their customers wore masks and not a single person got infected. So the implication of this is, okay, you can be very close to each other. And if you're both wearing masks, you should be protected. Nancy Pelosi said she didn't think she did anything wrong by getting her hair done indoors. She, she didn't know. Well, first, ignorance of the law is no excuse, at least not in most jurisdictions, most circumstances. And secondly, this is the woman who required masks in the House chamber and in the hallways of the U.S. Capitol and House office buildings and things like that. So she can't say, oh, I, I didn't know masks were important. And if she kept the mask on, at least she'd be able to say, well, at least I was following CDC guidelines. She didn't do that, even do that. Um, this salon owner, this was, so basically what it is, is this, there's a person who owns a salon who rents out the chairs to various hairstylists. The hairstylist sends a text saying, Pelosi wants me to do her hair opens up the door, takes her inside, does it, and the hair salon owner goes to Fox News saying, hey, uh, you know, she feels she can go in and get her stuff done while no one else can go in and I can't work. And this is where it really drives people crazy. And what, what's extraordinarily frustrating about this is that this is not the one-off. This comes on the heels of the exact same thing happening with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who had literally said getting your roots done is not essential and then had her stylist come in when she was supposed to be quarantining and, and minimizing her exposure to other people. Uh, Ralph Northam went around with crowds of Virginia Beach without a mask. Phil Murphy broke his own executive order on large gatherings. Pritzker's family took trips during a stay-at-home order. Gretchen Whitmer's husband wanted his boat out of the marina early. Uh, I had not seen that the governor of New Mexico, Lujan Grisham, had asked a jewelry store employee to reopen a closed store so she could have something delivered. Listeners probably remember Bill de Blasio visiting the gym as the rest of the city was shutting down. Something I hadn't seen until I looked for it this morning. It turns out Mayor Beaumont visited a nail salon that was supposed to be closed during the lockdown. One of my favorite examples, the mayor of Alton, Illinois, who ordered a crackdown on open bars that were, you know, uh, recklessly ignoring all the restrictions. And he learned that his wife had been arrested at one of those bars. Not all these folks are Democrats, but most of them are. And the lesson of it is that a lot of people enacted rules and restrictions that they themselves were not willing to live under, that they didn't realize, oh, this, this, oh, this applies to me too? Oh, no, no, no. Um, I think that, uh, and one of the points I tried to lay out in the morning, Joel, is that a, good, a rule is either good or bad on its own merits. Somebody being a hypocrite about it or somebody ignoring it does not make the rule any better or any worse. The fact that Democratic office holders are afraid to say that gathering at a George Floyd protest is as dangerous as gathering at any other protest. The coronavirus is not going to avoid a particular gathering because of the righteousness of its cause. Uh, the, you know, this, the, the, the crowd is a, a crowd is a crowd. The virus doesn't care. That doesn't go away because Democrats are giant hypocrites. That having been said, I feel like Sisyphus trying to get this rock up this hill because every couple of weeks we get some sort of high profile example of a Democratic lawmaker who's been beating the drums for these restrictions, ignoring them the moment they prove inconvenient. 
Uh, I don't like people ignoring the rules in the coronavirus, but I understand why when they have so many bad role models and so many examples of lawmakers who've decided, yeah, this is this is inconvenient. Therefore, it doesn't apply to me. Nancy Pelosi has been the House Democratic leader for almost 18 years. You don't get to keep that position without being really, really vindictive. And so and knowing where all the bodies are buried, you think the fact that this salon owner took the security footage and gave it to Fox News is going to mean that that owner might have to deal with the IRS or OSHA or some other regulatory nightmare because of this? Would, would any of us be surprised, Greg? <laughs> By the way, just one last point I forgot to mention. Nancy Pelosi turned 80 this year. Yep. She's right in the group of people who should be worried about the coronavirus, who would probably be at significant risk if she caught it. I'm hoping she doesn't. I'm hoping she's fine. You know, the chances are that that stylist probably didn't have it. And, you know, cases are starting to go down in San Francisco. It probably was fine. But that's not a good enough excuse for anybody else. So I don't understand why it would be a good enough excuse for the Speaker of the House. Hats off also to Carla Baranucci over at Politico, whose immediate response to this on Twitter was, I have to ask upon seeing this, is it legal in California, a two-party consent state, to videotape someone in a private home or business without their consent? And then, of course, everybody responded uh, in a very nice ratio. Yes, it's fine. It's a business. Uh, They have security cameras that are usually not exactly hidden. So nice try of uh, deflecting there. Uh, Finally, Jim, uh, in terms of COVID and the the timetable for some of these political leaders, did you notice that uh, Oregon decided to keep their COVID restrictions in place until exactly November 3rd, which... I think there's an election that day. Oh, and Andrew Cuomo, too, has decided that he just can't come up with the data on nursing home deaths until November 5th. So um, <laughs> nobody's playing with the calendar at all here, are they? I I will have the, my dog ate it, but I expect he'll barf it back up right after the election. On to our crazy martini now, Jim. And yesterday... This working group called DC Faces, commissioned by DC Mayor Muriel Bowser, released a lengthy report uh, explaining how the city needs to get more with, uh, you know, making sure that there's no racial lingering legacy around town and, and making sure that uh, everything is is just about as woke as it could possibly be. And so there's uh, recommendations for changing things and renaming things like schools and so forth. For some reason, they really got it out for Benjamin Franklin. I'm not really sure why. I don't think he was a slave over, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, but then we get to page 22, or at least page 22 as it existed yesterday. And it said, statues and memorials. Recommendation using the mayor's position on the National Capital Memorial Advisory Commission recommend the federal government remove, relocate, or contextualize the following assets. Eight assets are listed, including the Christopher Columbus Fountain outside of Union Station, the Benjamin Franklin statue, the Andrew Jackson statue, which of course made headlines in Lafayette Park a couple months back, the Jefferson Memorial, the George Mason Memorial, which is near the Jefferson Memorial, uh, and also, Jim, the Washington Monument. Uh, remove, relocate, or contextualize. Good luck uh, removing or relocating that. Uh, so then uh, the blowback occurred. So Bowser had the, the language changed to remove the idea of removing or relocating. And after that, the good, dutiful people over at the Washington Post decided that the original language was never there. 
It said, uh, outraged responses from Republicans in Congress, some of which misstated the report's intentions by claiming the city wanted to tear down federal monuments rather than contextualize them. It also said the working group's proposal for the federal monuments was contextualizing, not removing. So we get revisionist history on the very same day that this ludicrous idea comes out. So what do you make of it all? So back in August 2017, when Trump was dealing with the lingering outrage over the uh, white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, his infamous both sides comments, et cetera. But one of the things he made was many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So this week it is Robert E. Lee. I noticed Stonewall Jackson is coming down. And he most noted that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were also slave owners. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You know, you really have to ask yourself, where does it stop? He said that removing the statues is comparable to changing history. Enormous number of smug and insufferable liberal commentators responded to this was, oh, come on, you crazy, paranoid conservatives. No one's talking about taking down statues of George Washington. Well, in addition to the statues that got torn down of people who had nothing to do with slavery uh, earlier this, uh, this summer, uh, back in June 28th, Charles Blow, a uh, columnist for the New York Times, wrote, quote, a, a, a column entitled, Yes, Even George Washington. All right. So the, the first thing, you know, if you might say, ah, oh, Charles Blow, he's, he's not a mayor. He's not in charge of anything. OK, no, but not everybody gets a job as a columnist for the New York Times. He gets to write regularly. Some of us have noticed he writes pretty much the same column every week. But he wrote this. And so you can't say, oh, no one's talking about taking away this. You know, is, now you say, well, no one in government is talking about taking down the Washington Monument or Statues of Washington. Well, now here's this outside panel commissioned by the D.C. government making this recommendation. And then once it blew up in their faces, they try to pretend it didn't happen. I think we should retire the, oh, come on, you paranoid conservatives. No one's calling for X. Because if you're a left of center commentator, you should know better somebody somewhere is going to call for X. There, there is no limiting principle, as I ranted a couple of days ago. And so, you know, it, 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 the previous to this, I think probably the next best example of is no one's talking about taking away your guns, you paranoid Republicans. And then in the debate, you know, Beto O'Rourke's like, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR-15. You know, whatever idea strikes you as too far beyond the pale, somebody somewhere on the left is going to decide to say, oh yeah, I'm going to embrace that idea. I've got the guts. I've got the nerve to go out there and I'll show you. Yeah, I do want to do that idea that you conservatives think is crazy. Take that. And of course, then this this proposal that was allegedly mythical, that was apparently an invention of paranoid and, and you know, conspiracy adult conservatives becomes reality. Do I think you're going to see anything happen to the Washington Monument? No. But there are people on the left who are so consumed by this. They want to take down the Washington Monument, and they want to effectively erase our founding fathers. This is no longer hyperbole. This is no longer some wild exaggeration. This is something that the D.C. government looked at. It didn't look at very long. As soon as they realized the, the backlash they were going to court right before a presidential election year, uh, they, they ran screaming from it, unsurprisingly. But you know, also, it's deeply depressing to see the Washington Post. Wait, didn't they tell us democracy dies in darkness? <laughs> right. If that's your slogan, don't gaslight. 
Although I guess in their mind, the ga- the light from the gaslighting will illuminate the darkness, so democracy will not die. Jim, we talked about the uh, the groupthink bubble at the New York Times back in the whole Tom Cotton op-ed uh, fiasco, as well as uh, Barry Weiss's exit. And I have to assume this DC Faces working group was not exactly a bipartisan commission. So do you think that... Well, they'd have to find a, a Republican in Washington first. <laughs> yes. I mean, I believe there's one at like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, another one at the Naval Observatory, and uh, that might be about it, Greg. So if only the only people you hear from are from the left and the far left, these ideas start to make more sense to you, I guess, if you're already somewhat inclined to to be sympathetic towards them. And so then you think, well, then everybody must agree with this. And then when you get the blowback, you're uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, no, we didn't really mean that. What's revealing is not just that they made the proposal. What's also revealing is, as far as we can tell, there was no one sitting around the table saying, whoa, 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 fellas, ladies, hold on. We are two months away from an election (laughs) which has been extraordinarily divided. We're all good Democrats here. We're all good people who want to see Donald Trump defeated. And Donald Trump has been warning that lefty crazy people want to take away George Washington and the founding fathers. And we're about to put out a proposal that says, hey, let's move, remove, or otherwise alter or contextualize the Washington Monument. Not a single person around the table could see this coming, which I think is pretty revealing. Some folks have called it an in-kind contribution to the Trump campaign, which is probably not too far off. Uh, Could end up in an ad, which at that point, I assume PolitiFact will come in with the updated version of this uh, working group report and saying, it doesn't say that, and then say mostly false. He said they had it, but it was later taken back. Therefore, it was never said. Ah, Jim, never a dull day. Plenty of insane days, but never a dull day in this town. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already. We would be very grateful for a kind review and a five-star rating. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.